1: This is the high stakes lowdown of RotoViz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. I'm Eric Balkman from the uh, high stakes fantasy football hour and the FFPC. You follow me on Twitter at Eric Balkman and the FFPC on Twitter at FFPC. Before we get into the show, I do want to remind you uh, that you can get a listeners only 10% discount to RotoViz using the code RVRADIO22. That's R V R A D I O 2022. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all the Rotaviz content and tools and help support the podcast channel as well. Um, Over at the FFPC, dozens of Dynasty orphans are available. MyFFPC.com slash Dynasty for sale. You get some really good discounts, reduced uh, rates on a lot of those Dynasty orphans that are available now. You can register for the inaugural Never Too Early Best Ball Tournament, which is going on, which... I think we'll get into a little bit tonight as well with our <coughs> guest win a million bucks in the 2022 FFPC main event. That's right. $1 million over at myffpc.com, And of course the 2022 football guys, players championship early bird promotion is live. You get a $35 credit. As long as you register by June 30th and draft by July 15th, plenty of uh, slow live, Sit and go, best ball, action, all at MyFFPC.com. This week on the show, we're talking with Todd Burrows, a 13-time main event and FFPC league champion. He's also one of the 12 players who made the championship week of the 2021 FFPC Best Ball Tournament. Tonight's live video broadcast, we're going to discuss the strategy he's been applying to uh, his teams this season uh, in the 2022 Never Too Early Best Ball Tournament, how he's using the data he compiled on initial advance rates uh, in last year's Best Ball Tournament to become a better drafter, and you're going to become a better drafter tonight. You follow him on Twitter, at Best NFL. Want to welcome him in right now, ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, the Todd from PA, Todd Burroughs. Welcome in, Todd.
2: Hey, buddy. It is good to be here, and I am ready to lay out some of this information that I've been working on, trying to make everyone better at Best Ball. Last year, a bit of background here. You invested more in the FFPC Best Ball Tournament than
1: anything you've ever spent before uh, in in fantasy. Can you tell the listeners a little bit what you love so much about that format and and sort of how it fit your own personal style of preferred play for fantasy?
2: Yeah, so I I was in in the it's hard to believe 2015 is now considered the old days, but, (laughs) you know, things move fast in this world. And uh, back in the old days of MyFantasyLeague.com, when that was the only really thing out there, um, I was a grinder. I would do two, three hundred drafts and I was good at certain things like roster construction and exposure. Um, and when I saw the FFPC tournament, I just love that you're not aiming for a one percent if that uh, result. Uh, that w- The way the tourney set up is... Uh, Similar to the other sites, two out of the 12 teams advance. That's a 17% chance of advancing out of your league. But then instead of like a 5% chance every week for three weeks, and there's three weeks of playoffs before you get to the finals with the FFPC, three out of 12 teams make advance, right? So that's a 25% chance each week. So I didn't have to build teams that were hyper-fragile. And the trend was to build hyper-fragile teams. So, um, you know, just by finding a lot of the, uh, following a lot of the rules, and, you know, you mentioned how many I did between myself and partners. I did $131, $125 tournaments between the two leagues. And that was way more than I had ever spent before, but I felt like I had an edge I felt like it was made for what I was best at. And, you know, I got to the final week. I had some nice leverage pieces. I had Joe Mixon and, of course, Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow went off instead of Mixon. Um, Another really interesting fact about the finals was that 11 out of the 12 teams that made the finals had Mark Andrews. So the fact that I had Hollywood Brown, even though I didn't have Lamar Jackson, gave me a huge another huge leverage piece it didn't work out i came in ninth or tenth um but i'm really excited to continue to work these tournaments and to even be better and and that's what we're going to talk a lot about today um so
1: your personal pass-through rate in the ffpc best balls last year a couple of questions on this number one how was it number two how did it change? Was it better or worse when you were drafting with a partner and when you were doing these you know, by yourself? And then how profitable were you overall in this tourney uh, from, from a financial standpoint?
2: Sure. So um, I invested, I guess, about $9,000 when you do the breakdown between myself and partners. And um, I kind of cratered at the end. I was well over 30 percent pass through for most of the season. And I finished up around 25, 26%. And, uh, but uh, no, I'm sorry, 23%, but 29% on the ones I did solo. And I don't think that's any negative towards the guys that I drafted with. It was just, I think some of the guys that we had exposure to got COVID, uh, but it did tail off more at the end with partners. Um, I made just under three grand um, off the 131 teams, which, you know, without, you know, it, it, the main thing is to be profitable and have a one in 12 shot at 100 grand. To me, that was the big success of the year. Do you find Todd when like it? it, it... You
1: know, because the partners that you had were obviously very intelligent individuals. It's why you partnered with them, and it's why you guys made do. Some of the
2: some of the smartest guys in the industry. Can
1: you share with some some of those who, who some of sure. those guys
2: were? Uh, Billy Musio, who um, is more of a high stakes, season long guy, um, and w- we partnered on some season long teams and some best ball. But he's he, he's he's my number one partner. We did forty or fifty teams together. Um, Theo Greminger, OG Fantasy, fabulous, fabulous guy. Elliot Christ, who runs things over at FDN Fantasy. Uh, and then I had one or two guys who I had financial deals with, but I did the drafting. So when I did this, these advance rates, what I wanted to do was just look at the ones that I had 100% control over. So when we get to those numbers, of like the teams that I drafted, I wanted to see how I did first. Right. Yeah. And then the next thing I'll do is once I go through the different categories I want to with these advance rate, because what I did was I laid out a grid. Um, so if you look at like a draft board, you know how, when you do a draft, you do a draft board. What I did was I laid it out by ADP and then I put in the advance rate for each player. Uh, so, you could look because so that you could look not only you could look at it like a draft board. And then I went back for probably 70% of the players. I went to every team that I drafted that I had those players on, and I saw what my advance rate was with those players. And I compared it to the total, and there were some very, very interesting takeaways.
1: All right, so so let's get into this with the the advance rates. Um, now, uh, the deep dive that you did on this first ever best ball tournament. Can you explain exactly the initial advance rates, um, what they are to like a layperson or a person who's not familiar with it, and then how do they differ than what we hear more traditionally in the fantasy industry, uh, as as you know when we talk about best ball drafts, is win rates. How are they different than that?
2: Correct. All right. So in the past, when we talk about those MFL 10s, or even if you do a 35 or a $77 um, best ball on the FFPC, uh, most of the money traditionally for those leagues is to the first place winner. So we would track win rates because, you know, like in the MFL 10 days, you got $100 on a $10 MFL 10 for first and you would get $10 for second. So all that mattered was winning. Now with these best ball tournaments, what matters is advancing to that playoff. So um, what an advance rate is, and I still keep making the mistake all the time. I probably will do it four or five times and refer to them as win rate. But advance rate means that you advanced into the playoffs.
1: Pretty simple, right? Um, yeah. You know, when, when, when you break it down. Now, um,
2: well, that's what I'm here for, Eric. Thank you. Yes. You know, I am here to break down best ball so that the lay person, you know, the person on his couch laying down, uh, (laughs) can understand it. Um, all right. So this is kind of advanced
1: rates, a little bit kind of polarizing. Now, now you are in the camp of, listen, this is very important data that, that you need to know to become a better best ball, uh, drafter, but there's some other players, um, that, that, that don't, Put the same emphasis that you do, or maybe just dismiss them completely. What? Why do you? Why is this important for you? Especially with this analysis you've done. What? Why do you think that this is so important for somebody to understand as they go into like the never too early best ball tournament, like the the best ball tournament that the FFPC is going to be putting on later this year? Why are advance rates so important to understand? Why should we not dismiss them?
2: Well, advance rates don't give you all the answers. And people in general, they they want simple solutions to complex problems, but what advance rates do is they're the key starting point for how well a player did the previous year, and it helps you to find types. Right? You're not looking at you know oh well Debo Samuel had a thirty three percent advance rate. I can count on Debo Samuel for X, Y, and Z. No. But what you but what you look at is not only what his win rate is, but how much better he was than the people near him, what that did to their win rates so that we can build it helps you to build out better roster construction. and it helps you to uh, understand exposure better. So the people who just say, oh, well win rates don't give you all the answers no. You, you you know you have to look at the players that were drafted, and, and we'll, as we go through, I'll give you a couple examples of players and how who you who you drafted nearby affects it. Um, how late in the draft affects your win rate. The earlier uh, that a guy is drafted, the more uh, variance you're going to see in his um, in his rates. But it's a great starting point for understanding what worked, what didn't. And it helps you, therefore, to identify what you're looking for going forward.
1: Um, I think it's it's so anybody who wants to get sort of a, a deeper analysis or begin a deeper analysis of best ball drafts, um, advance rates. Is that is that the point? Is that the point that you would say, OK, start looking here. And 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 this is when you can get you can dig the hole and really get a lot of good analysis. And then, what specifically are you looking at? You kind of touched on it a little bit about um, not only the players that were drafted, but the players drafted around that player as well. What are you looking at to get something actionable that you can take in to twenty twenty two
2: uh, best ball drafts? Well, you you know, people. There's a few you know, there's a few ways of looking at this, right? You can just show up and draft right? And you might draft a better team than I do. But when you're building a portfolio over 130 teams, you need to understand roster construction, how many quarterbacks to draft, how many running backs, how many wide receivers, how many tight ends. When do you change that up? And all these things are important. But the main reason for me that I did this deep dive was to understand exposure. One of the big fights I see on Twitter, like I saw someone really smart recently say, well, you know, uh, uh, exposure is nothing more than your willingness to either accept risk or not take risk. And that makes it seem kind of, I mean, while that is 100% true, right, your risk tolerance definitely plays into um, how many people that you draft or you don't draft but what you want to do is you want to uh, you want to you want to give yourself the best chance to win because it's so important I you know like I I I I trust Justin Herzig as much as anybody for best ball. and he says I want a 25 my goal is a 25% advance rate well to do that you need a strategy for how much of each player you're willing to take and that's what I dive into Um, You know, I've always, the years that I've done well, I've never owned more than 23% of any player. And even in the old days, guys like Michael Beers, who as smart a guy as you could ever want, knows his numbers better than anyone. Him and I had a few different conversations and he said, you know, I, I just don't understand what you're doing here. And I said, look, the number one thing the biggest difference between best ball and season long and best ball and DFS is the injuries and how they affect uh, teams and your chance of being successful, right? In a season long league, if you lose your first round pick, you're in trouble. But, you know, maybe you picked up, you know, maybe you did handcuff the guy, something I wouldn't do in best ball. Um, you know, or maybe, you know, you 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 get a waiver on someone else. You, you at least have a shot. DFS, if a guy gets hurt, it just hurts that one week, right? You're going to have a bad week because you're the guy you had the highest ownership on got hurt. But in best ball, um, you find the with these advance rates like the lowest advance, the highest advance rate last year was Cooper Cup and uh, Jonathan Taylor, right around 48 percent. The lowest was Calvin Ridley at four percent, right? And you think, well, 4%, that's bad, but how bad really is it? Think of it this way. 4% is a 77% off of average, right? If you go 4% into 17%, that's 77% off, right? So if you had 50, you know, you might say, well, you know, Todd, you refused to have more than 15% in the first two rounds, you know, well, what if you had 50% of Jonathan Tower And I say, great, sure. But what if I, you know, I, I don't think all, any of us are as good at picking players as we think we are. Um, what if it was Calvin Ridley who um, I had 50% of instead of Jonathan Tower and he got hurt? I mean, I would have lost almost everything that I, I invested that year. Uh, so uh, a long story short, Injury is the biggest enemy, and learning how to make a masterful portfolio, um, and, and I'll get into in a minute exactly some of the takeaways of that reinforce this theory um, going forward.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare care provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare care regimen, including EE system.
1: Okay, so when we're talking about advance rates, there's different advance rates, right? There's the initial ones and because you can advance every single week. So number one question here for you in this. Why did you choose to study only the initial advance rates? Do you plan on, you know, as you, as you expand on this study a little bit more, do you plan on going uh, further uh, into, you know, the other advance rates? And if you choose, if you don't feel like those are as valuable, can you tell us a little bit why you don't think those are as valuable?
2: Well, especially, you know, first of all, in any year, a one-week advancement like we saw who won the championship. If you didn't have Jamar chase and you didn't have Joe Burrow, you, you weren't going to win, right? It didn't matter how good the rest of your lineup was, right? Because it was a one week championship. Correct. Yeah. And that is just so hard to, the whole point of studying is to look for trends that will give you an edge moving forward. Right? So I don't know how that would give you an edge. So And then you add to that fact that uh, with all the COVID we had and all the injuries, I mean, we really don't even know who should have won last year because maybe a lot of those Jamar Chase teams shouldn't have even gotten there because somebody who was going to put up 50 points was out, you know, half the team was out with COVID, including that player. You know, a lot of good teams got eliminated this year. So I, I think it's A, really hard to predict that and i do think there's strategies that you want to build to help you advance but actually looking at what worked i think is less uh i think it's too small of a sample size
1: and w- which makes perfect sense you know because you're you're trying to you're trying to get there and like you said the goal is advance and then become one of those last final 12 teams so you have the shot at the hundred thousand
2: dollars, yeah, and that would be a different podcast, right? Right. That would be me talking about stacking different types of stacking correlations. I I'll throw out one that I feel like I took. You know, everyone wants a week seventeen correlation, but what if the week seventeen correlation is between two teams with a very terrible offense? Well, you know. So, but I felt that I had to correlate week seventeen going forward this year. I'm going to have a chart with each team and what their easiest matchup is of the week 15, 16, 17. So if let's say the Detroit Lions, right, and they're going to play, uh, you know, w- w- a really slow team week 17. Do I really want to correlate my Lions with with a, a, an offense that has a very, you know, that that game's going to most likely be a, a slugfest but maybe they're going to play the Chiefs week 15, right? So maybe when I'm doing um, Lions stacks, maybe I'd take some late Chiefs instead because it's just as important to get from week 14 to week 15 and week 15 to week 16. And I'm not saying you build your whole roster that way, but I do think that I'm going to be looking at more correlation pieces that will help me get more teams toward the end. Some of the uh, the best uh, podcasts that I listened
1: to slash watch so far already this season. Um, some of my favorites were um, the ones that you did with Matt Chauff and Jared Smola from um, Draft Sharks with right. the uh, the best ball study halls, which are great. So I want to kind of probe you a little bit here. Um, what were what were some of the the takeaways from the from the advance rates here that that you that you maybe cited uh, when you were talking about all these different divisions on the study halls? And then when you went in looking to um, sort of find what to take away, um, did you go in sort of trying to find um, data that would prove certain strategies or did you just kind of like get the aggregate of the data and then kind of based off um, what you found out, then you could kind of go forward and sort of see, okay, well, this theory looks like this one was true, this one, not so much. Can you take us a little bit through that process?
2: I mean. I would be lying if I said I wasn't trying to prove a point to myself, but I would also be lying if I didn't say I understand the the nature of biases and I was on, on alert to make sure I wasn't trying to force things. Um, and, and, uh, and not only did I not force things, but I, I feel like the two main things that I always felt about exposure for the first two rounds. Okay, so here's the biggest takeaway. Um, I won 29%. The average is 17%. So I tracked what my win rate was for a bunch of the early guys. I only had four shares of Cooper Cup. So it's kind of amazing that I I got 29% advance rate with only four out of like 71 drafts with Cooper Cup but I had a 50% win rate with Cup. Cup won 44%. I had a 50% win rate with Jonathan Taylor, and he had a 48% win rate. And what I found was in the early rounds, it's very difficult to get away from um, what that person's win rate was. But what I, what I the, the big eye-opener was, as I went along, Like Tom Brady um, won 33%. I won 60% of my Tom Brady lineups. I won 63% of my Debo Samuel lineups. Uh, And then look at Austin Eckler. He had a good year, but I only won um, 29% of my Austin Eckler lineups when he had a 30% win rate. The advantage of getting... uh, So what what I found was... The number one thing that really affected win rate early because it it, it is injury, right? If, you know, when you look at the guys who had really bad win rates, DeAndre Hopkins, 10% uh, advance rate, uh, Calvin Ridley, 4% advance rate, uh, Saquon Barkley, 9% advance rate, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, 7% advance rate every single one, not one of those guys had one of those rock bottom numbers for any reason other than injury, right? So since you you can't control injuries, it doesn't make sense to put all, you you know, when you're going to have a wild swing like that. I mean, just to give you another example, Debo Samuel had a 33% win rate. I think everyone agrees his, his, um, his advance, uh, I mean, his year was as good as anyone's, but he was 15% behind Jonathan Taylor, who was drafted much earlier. Well, it's because you don't see as big of swings was one of the things that came out of this. And also for the people who got hurt, drafted right next to Debo was Raheem Mostert. I don't think he played a snap all year. But he had an 8% advance rate, which was well ahead of Calvin Ridley. And he was drafted exactly next to Debo. So the the big takeaway is early in drafts, because injury is something you can't control. I'm not saying you don't, you know, 15% ownership is basically 2x. You're 2x on a guy. And 5% ownership is 30% off. So most players in those rounds, I want to be between 5 and 15%. And then I want to win by being smarter later. And, I mean, I think that –
1: well, I mean, obviously, if if you can get those later picks, they have a much bigger impact, right? Because – Well, mean, that, seen... that
2: was the thing. No.
1: Well, I'm just – but I'm saying – but what I'm saying is if, if you – I guess maybe when you talk about smart and then hitting on something late, I guess it is two different things. What I'm
2: saying is you don't need even – because you can – if you hit a late guy right, even though you only – like I had 20-something percent, 20% Debo, but I won 63% of those, right? So I managed my risk. I was still almost 3X on Debo, right? But those Debo teams – I got a 60 percent 60 you know, I almost trip I doubled what his win rate was right. on average. Right? right. And that's the point that I'm trying to make. And it's not an easy point to get across. It's about how you build your whole team using these numbers to help you build exposures so that your t- you know that you have good solid roster construction. The other big thing that I found. Is that um, that really surprised me? Was I thought that I won because I, I had great roster construction and great exposure. The one big surprise I got was just how good I was at fading later guys who bombed. Right, when you look at early round guys, I don't care. You know, you might have loved Calvin Ridley versus DeAndre Hopkins. But the truth is that both of them were going to be high-volume targets in offenses, and they were going in those rounds. It's really hard for those guys to dominate other guys who have similar type of roles. As you move later in drafts, the roles aren't secure as secure, and there's a lot more speculation and hype behind certain players and more less, volatility, hype, and about less hype about other ones. Yep. So what I could do there is I could look... Th- the other big thing when you draft best ball is to take ADP values when they show themselves to you. Like I wasn't on Josh Allen last year, but if he dropped the round, I would take my Josh Allen shares then, right? Um, late, I could see... Where people were being overly optimistic, a guy like Adam Troutman, you know, was is just one example of a guy who I just didn't I just don't didn't think his role was what everyone was assuming it would be. It might have been. But what was the chance he had moved up so far that even if he was what people thought he would be, he wouldn't kill me. He wasn't that much, you know, no one thought he was gonna be Darren Waller, I don't think. Right. Yeah. Um so what when when you can then look at those roles and 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 you expand how much you're willing to own or not own of a player, you can build overall very solid teams that can withstand injuries that can um, and, and, and and you and and you have a much better chance. I found that I'm much better at looking at situations and seeing where people were being overly enthusiastic or under-enthusiastic about the role that that player was going to play in an offense. Where early on, I mean, you know, if you think that a guy's going to score 300 fantasy points and the guy that you like a lot less, you might have him at 270 fantasy points. Over, you know, but the role on that team isn't going to change much because that's why they're first and second round picks. But the chance of that person being injured is way higher than the chance that they bomb, where later in the draft, you have to worry about injury, but that's for everyone. But you can really look at and, and, and see where people are assuming that a role is going to increase and it might not.
1: Did you okay? So I want to make sure I'm understanding this right. When you say that one of the things that surprised you was the a big reason of your success in this was because you avoided a lot of these hyped up late round guys that ended up bombing. Did you find yourself as you moved through the draft that w- you know later on? I think the 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 predominant thing is let let's swing for home runs, home runs here, and let's just see what happens. Did you find yourself maybe going the opposite way because of um, the reaction from other drafters doing that, that you want a little bit more conservative. As, as a result, you avoided these bombs and you got guys that were able to fill in the cracks, the COVID cracks, the injury cracks,
2: stuff like that. I, I, I think in general, one of my takeaways for the year is that people underestimate the value of having a guy with a floor late. Now, that means to me last year, around 16, 17, and 18, Right where people were just taking wild flyers on third string rookie running backs, you know, um, uh, young wide receivers, you know, and underestimating a guy who, you know, isn't sexy, but was the number two receiver on his team, and you knew he was going to get 80 or 90 targets. So I do think um, a lot of it, it, you'll never get all that information right in one, uh podcast because you have to blend you have to you know i've talked about this a lot in the over the year risk is like um alcohol in a drink you, you 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 need you know to for a drink to be good you need you need a certain amount of alcohol right but if there's too much alcohol that's Bad not drink.
1: good it's not an enjoyable drink not yeah.
2: well and you get drunk and your yeah. evening ends early you ever go out and have two drinks and it was like five and you did it in five minutes and you're like, uh, you know, and you have a crappy night. Same thing. If you take a drink of a drink and there's no alcohol, almost no alcohol in it. You're like, oh, why am I even bothering with it's that? Yeah. Something? Yep. Exactly. It's not enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So um, you need risk. Risk is important. Taking shots on guys, but also n- don't have too many pure flyers. Um, Going to 20 rounds is going to change that a little bit. But all the more with my late picks, what I'm looking to do is three things. I'm looking to shore up positions that are weak on that team, right? People get into two quarterbacks, three quarterbacks. And, and honestly, you can make great quarter uh, teams with two quarterbacks and you can make crappy teams with two quarterbacks. It's all to me, it's all about how much weight you have at each position. So the last few picks are a to shore up weak positions to give you a uh for these tournaments. Maybe the you know, I saw, I think one of the Rotoviz guys mentioned it that the fourth wide receiver is actually better to stack than the third wide receiver, mm. and part of that is because if you hit that, almost nobody has them right. right? So at late, adding a stacking piece. Like I just did this uh, um, alive um, 125 and I got JJ Jefferson in the first pick and Dalvin fell. So I took him in the second pick. And then I took Kirk Cousins a little early to make sure I had the stack, but I didn't go crazy because it's fine to have two correlated pieces without the quarterback. And then 20th round, I took a guy who's going to be like 1% owned in Tyler Conklin. Right? Oh, yeah. he was my third tight end, uh, so he fit the third tight end. And I knew the whole way. Once I got cousins, that Tyler Conklin, nobody takes him. He's my twentieth round pick. I built the rest of the team for that. And then once we know bye weeks, you know, back to that correlation thing that I was talking about. You do want to break. Uh, uh, you want to break ties. You don't want to take a guy who's way worse because he's part of your stack. Right. You don't want to like, I like Isaiah McKenzie. I don't know where he's going to go. I'm not going to take some rookie who ends up in the fourth round over Isaiah McKenzie if he goes back to Buffalo or goes to the Giants just because I want to stack.
0: Right. But if
2: I'm looking at a group of guys that I all have in the same range and one of them is a correlated piece to my main stack or stacks with my main stack. That's how I want to fill out my draft. Those three things. I hope I made that reasonably clear. You did.
1: And, and those three, okay. So those three things that you just mentioned, did you, did you feel like you were doing that same thing last year with 18 rounds or did these three things kind of develop once you found out the FFPC for the slims were going to 20, you, did you kind of sit down and think, okay, how do I, what's the best utilization for these two
2: extra picks? Is that when you came up with this? I did it last year. Last year as well. Okay. I um, was mostly focused, as I said, on week 17 correlations and based on, you know, how some things in life just start itching you and you're like, ah. you know, I got to week 16 and or, or I got to week 17 and I had, you know, I looked at some of my, st- uh, like I when I, once I got to the playoffs, I started looking at my teams that were advancing and I saw certain teams and they had stacks. And I said, man, if I get to week 17 is, I forget what, you know, uh, who played who now, but, you know, this is, you know, like the Giants and the Bears. Was the Giants and the Bears really going to win me um, $100,000? Probably not. The chances were really against it. But maybe there was a week in 14, 15, or 16 where they were playing a really up-tempo Team where you know that was a good offense where they'd be behind and they'd have to throw, so yeah, that that changed. But everything else was there. Twenty rounds. What it does is it helps. It helps bad drafters to have better roster construction because almost by accident they're going to have enough at each position. But the advantage a guy like me is going to get is I'm building really great teams, hopefully with really get great players having 20 rounds makes me less fragile to injury than uh, 18 rounds. And that's why I pushed um, the FFPC and uh, the other site to to move to 20 rounds. Um, So so number one, this is
1: fantastic knowledge. This is great stuff about these advance rates tonight that we got into. Um, And I think uh, anybody who is going to try to unpack this – um, maybe is feeling a little overwhelmed right now. If give the Cliffs Notes version or, or the Todd's well, the, version. Well, the Cliff
2: here. Notes version is the um, top
1: takeaways. Of, of I, I, I'm best,
2: uh, the, the top takeaways is I'm best ball NFL on Twitter and I do a podcast and um, I am going to be breaking these things down in increments. Right, so you know, I rather, rather than give you know the the main. If I'm, I'm give you what you ask for, but I'm also I was in sales for most of my life. <laughs> you know, follow me on Twitter. Say you heard me on this show. Um, I do the best ball study halls. There, I feel they're pretty unique. I, I call like them. them best ball study halls because I either bring in people. It, most of the time, a podcast is to bring in somewhat like this for me to share with you what I've already studied. Best ball study hall is letting you guys come in and study with me and help me to challenge my biases. Hey, I'm down on this guy. Should I be on this guy? And almost every comment that comes in during the podcast, I put up on the screen and I follow. So what I'm going to be doing is reviewing this in great detail Then I'm going to break it down by position. And there's a few other ways I want to slice this. And then we're going to move on to spike weeks because the other big thing you want in best ball is spike weeks. So that's coming up as well. Um, The big summary of this is I feel like I proved that you don't need huge ownership to be successful. I feel like I proved that having no more than 15% in the first two rounds is the smart way to play uh, volume. And I would say those are the two biggest takeaways. That And and, and then you really got to understand roster construction and exposure. And these are all things that now you're applying for, that you've
1: already applied in your best ball drafts. It so was part of story.
2: why I was successful last year. And getting so close without winning has just really fired me up to all the more study and get better and make better teams. You know, when you talk to a guy like JM to win uh, about uh, or any of the the you know blender um, from uh, roto grinders about making DFS lineups, what they tell you over and over and over again is make better lineups, make better lineups, learn how to make better lineups, learn how to give yourself. People will scoff at 1% edge here and a 2% edge there, you know, but if you can get to the point to where you've got five or six different little edges, that's going to, you know, then your expectation for advance rate might be 22% versus 17% before you've drafted anybody, just because you're going to build such solid teams. So learn to build. Really good lineups, and that's what I'm focused on doing all the more. And if you want to focus on doing
1: this, listeners, viewers out there, follow Todd on Twitter at best ball NFL. The Run to Daylight podcast can be found pretty much anywhere. There's podcasts out there. Are you go are you going
2: to I haven't you- been I haven't been putting the podcast up? It's mostly the YouTube channel this okay, day. So got it. if you got could it. uh If you could sign up on that, uh, I think video is really what most people want now. And because of what I'm doing with study hall, I'm actually showing things, you know, and showing you my work. Um, I think that's important. And also, if you're a first time subscriber to the FFPC, and you want to save uh, uh, some money, I think it's $25, yeah, $25. If you sign up for the FFPC today and use the code Bestball, um, you'll get twenty five dollars off your first. Uh, it it it's a win win. It's a win win. It's a I mean you 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 get
1: the keys to the the car and then they give you a massive discount or a free car essentially. You you can't uh, you can't lose. Yeah. Um, such a treat, as always, talking with you. Vice versa. Um, and we'll do this again sometime very soon. Good luck in Thank all you your man. leagues, Todd. We'll follow you on Twitter at Best Ball NFL. We'll check out the YouTube channel as well. Thanks so much, man. You got it. That was Todd Burroughs, ladies and gentlemen, from uh Run to Daylight Podcast, and of course, at Best Ball NFL on Twitter, as I just told you. Do you want to remind everybody out there um that uh, dozens of dynasty orphans are available at myffpc.com slash dynasty for sale. Register for the inaugural Never Too Early Best Ball Tournament. You can use some of these strategies that Todd's talking about and compete against them in this million bucks up for grab. Uh, up for grabs is the grand prize in the 2022 FFPC main event, and you can get a thirty-five dollar credit with the 2022 Football Guys Players Championship Early Bird Promotion right now. Sign up for that draft by June 30th, and then of course uh, draft by July 15th, and you will be all set to get that free thirty-five bucks. Slow live sit and goes. Uh, Best Ball Options over at myffpc.com. We will be back. The Road of His High Stakes Lowdown will be back in early April. That will be our next broadcast. Probably going to have a Dynasty focus on that one with the combine obviously going on right now. And uh, Dynasty Rookie Drafts will be coming up. So we'll get um, a a Dynasty program put together for that for you. However, on this very same channel, Friday night, 2021 Best Ball Tournament, $100,000 champion, Connor O'Driscoll is going to join myself. And KFFSC Commissioner Farrell Elliott live right here, 109 Central on Friday night. I want to thank you for watching, listening, the to the high stakes load on. It's a RotoViz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. Thanks to um uh Todd Burroughs for uh jumping on this week. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Rotoviz radio feed. It helps us find new listeners and connect via email as well. Rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. And follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio as well. Remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Rotoviz at a uh, 10% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com/slash podcast. That of course is um the uh, the the uh, discount code RV radio twenty twenty two. That's RVradio two zero two two. We will be back in April. Thanks for watching, everybody.